0: Hello and welcome to Minute Dialogue, episode number 172. This interview is with Heidi Spiergi, Senior Vice President, Head of Product and Services at the Marcus Buckingham Company, providing research, tools, and coaching for high-performance leadership. In this discussion, we look at the role of leadership in driving change, the new role for human resources, establishing accountability, measuring performance, the idiosyncratic radar effect, women in tech, and how to make online learning effective, and much more. A super stimulating conversation. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset. That's m y n d s e t dot com. Where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes and the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Minute Dialogue. Today I had a great fortune to bump into somebody looking for the right place at HR Tech World. And so Heidi, tell us who you are, what you do, and what's your mindset? <laughs>
1: First of all, fantastic. Thank you for asking me to be part of this. Um, so my background, so I've actually been in the HR technology space for over 20 years. And gosh, a year ago this time, I was actually a keynote speaker at this conference. And I was very, very close to leaving the industry. In fact, I had made up my mind that that was going to be my last HR tech conference after I think it was the 17th conference. And I had just become disillusioned after trying to create change in the world and make uh, the workplace a better place and a more human place. Um, for a long time, I believe, technology could play a massive role in that and uh you know i had become jaded so um at, but something something changed um i actually became i got to know a, a gentleman by the name of marcus buckingham and took the role of leading product to develop a completely new and different type of hr technology that i think actually can make a huge impact in the world so really excited and re-energized
0: does that will be your mindset
1: that would be my mindset, re-energized.
0: Right. So good. So um, tell us, uh, what is, what does Marcus do? Because I mean, obviously, he's a well-known figure. Tell us a little bit more about him for those who don't know.
1: Yeah, so Marcus Buckingham he's made his life study studying what drives great teams, what it, what just dis, what distinguishes one great team from a, an average and low performing team, um, and he's really landed on the team leader and the impact great leadership can make um, to an organization and most importantly to the team. And team is um, something that's very different than the way that most businesses are built today. We've built these businesses based on businesses based on this sort of top down hierarchy approach to management, and yet that's not the way performance really happens. That's not where engagement occur so he's written um, eight books on the topic and spent 17 years at Gallup and was one of the co-authors of the of strengths the strengths finder and early on in the strengths revolution as well as a, a co-author of the q12 so a lot of people know him for that work and then he left Gallup to start his own company to really try to drive the similar change but at much scale a much greater scale and bring um, his le- leadership principles to the masses through technology so it's really that intersection mm-hmm. between leadership and performance and um, what what, what can technology look like? Mm-hmm.
0: All right, well, when we look at a uh, so a team and how we're driving it, what are some of those principles? So, give us uh, the top line of understand the philosophy that goes behind what he does.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great question. So, first of all, um, a team has, has to be something that's self-forming. Um, it's organizations who try to force teams and try to pretend that team equals department or team equals business unit or team equals region um, quickly learn that in the world today that that's not the way that's not the way that. Uh, performance occurs that's not the way engagement occurs and so from a team perspective we are very much a believer that every every team member every employee has the potential to be a team team leader and lead a team so um, whether they be cross-functional virtual um, also comprised of independent contractors freelancers it's really how work gets done and how people organize work around um, organize themselves around work and organize themselves around a common mission and goal
0: So if if I listen to you then uh, the idea might be that everybody's a leader that means that leadership isn't uh, innate it's not a natural skill talk us through the, the notion that anybody can be a leader I mean let's say there's some people that just don't look like leaders but how can they become a leader?
1: Yeah, it's a fantastic question. So leadership definitely is not a role. Leadership is definitely not something that you're either born with or you're not born with. It can be cultivated, Um, but it is a position. It's a position, not in the HR hierarchy position, but it's a role that one plays with on a team. Um, And everyone, once they understand what their innate strengths are and what they can bring to the table, and really start to operate from within that position of strength and better understand what they can bring to a team or to their organization, has the potential to grow as a leader. So, go ahead. All
0: right. So, today, let's say that the, the the nature of leadership is in some kind of I want to say disruption. How would you qualify the type of changes that have happened in the twenty years you've been working in the area, such that today uh, there's a new style, a new way to bring about that change?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, I think that organizations have historically felt that to grow leadership, they need to invest in extremely expensive, um, ha- you know, hands-on, classroom-based leadership experiences, which are typically reserved for the top of the house. And that's where we think that um, there's, technology plays a very interesting role in cultivating leadership in a much more scalable fashion. So uh, yes, there's still a time and a place for leadership retreats and um, you know, very intensive leadership development courses. But what we've what we've done at, with at the Marcus Buckingham Company is we've really taken core tenets of leadership and said what would that look like at scale? How do you do? How do you deliver leadership development that's personalized based on who the individual who the individual is who's consuming it? How do you help leaders understand their team members better, as well as how do you develop them in the context of the work they're doing so that they're actually while working getting you know coaching online and, and so that they can access a coach on demand. to to address a very specific business problem or how can they get personalized tips and coaching advice based on the work, based on who they are as a human being and in the moment as opposed to just some expensive expensive classroom-based experience.
0: When you're doing these type of processes and you want to democratize and bring leadership down through the ranks, at the same time, if the top personnel are not modeling the behavior you're trying to see throughout the ranks, it does become top-down all the same. How do you deal with that?
1: Yeah, that's that's actually a huge huge challenge for organizations, which is why one of the one of the things that we spend a lot of time on is helping to drive the organizational transformation from the top down, because it's very easy to co- go in and say, here's a technology that's going to help you drive higher levels of performance at the team level and Press make your team level. leaders and more effective in managing their teams and driving engagement. But if it's not modeled at that that top level, so in fact most of our cust- most of our most successful customers actually have very high level of sponsorship. In fact, leadership around the adoption and deployment of the solution and this new approach to leadership at the CEO level because if you don't have that particularly particular sponsorship outside of HR, it will certainly fail. Um it's it's a radically different approach for HR. I mean it's a different mission, and we heard this morning from the keynote speaker, Yves Moreau, about uh, a new call to, I think, a call to action or a new mission for for um, human resources. and And I, I think this is an interesting time to be in the space mm-hmm. because it's we we really need to transition from the days of focusing on how do we automate and optimize these sort of HR functions and processes to really looking at things like connectedness, cooperation, mm-hmm. leadership true per- productivity and how work actually gets done, but at very much in a hu- at a human level. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big believer in we have to blow up these sort of c- traditional, overly structured models of skills and competencies, even leadership models, I think, mm-hmm. for the most part, um, leave a lot of um, uh, nuance to be mm-hmm. desired. Yeah, for
0: sure. When you're putting these things into place, two things come to mind. One is calling to, to task a senior leader who's not, behaving or operating in the way that you're hoping to see happen so it's always kind of complicated for a junior to say hey hey mister mister ceo or mrs ceo you're not doing what you are saying and so the there's a notion of accountability responsabilization that is and the second one of course is going to be about how do you measure improvement or measure performance that's related to this type of new attitude
1: yeah. So first in terms of the of accountability of senior leadership. So one of the things that I'm a strong believer in is that the the in order to drive true impact in organizations, you can't just we here in the HR technology community can't just go in and sell a product, nor can we go in and simply deliver services. So we're trying to, and I've been I've spent ten years on the vendor side that building building products, and ten years on the services side, trying to help drive change at the through the through the people part of the mm-hmm. equation. And I really believe the next ten years needs to be about the fusion of the two, because to your point, if you go in and you try to transform an organization through a lot of the new and very exciting and disruptive technologies that we see walking around the show floor here today without addressing that human level and really driving change, whether it be at the leadership level or even at the line manager level, without driving that change and getting and creating the mind shifts, you're, you're, the technology is actually going to deliver zero value and it will be a, a waste of time. So things like whether it be, you know, business consulting services or change management or leadership development and really rethinking how we do those and doing it in a way that you can't separate it from the technology mm-hmm. because it's really just like anything else in the culture and the world around us. Technology is just purely an enabler of some type of a change, of some type of an outcome and trying to help businesses understand that and really think about how do we manage people differently? How do we mm-hmm. lead people differently? How do we develop people differently? But leveraging technology to do that. And so it becomes a business conversation and a change conversation and not just a technology or mm-hmm. just a consulting conversation, which I think is the, the mistake that, that we've made. Mm-hmm. Um, to your second question on measurement huge huge um, uh, great I'm I'm glad you asked that so um, there's been a lot of just over amount, overly amount of focus on the question of how do we measure performance management? We've all seen ROI, the,
0: the ROI oh of my, my sister,
1: and we all see seen in the press, you know, kill performance reviews, kill performance ratings, you know, death of performance management. Um, you know, Accenture's come out and announced that they're blowing it up. Deloitte's come out and announced that they're blowing it up. We see Coca Cola, we see Microsoft, we see Motorola, all really trying to transform performance management. And so this, this interesting question. Okay, so how do do you actually measure it, and do you need to measure it? So I'm a firm believer. We'll always need to be able to differentiate performance at some level. There's a lot of reasons we need to do that. I mean, as human beings, we need to do that as we look at ourselves. I mean, how do you, you know, I don't know whether you're a runner or you know participate in any type of, but that whole personal best. I mean, we're always measuring ourselves. I mean, we're actually, I think, becoming more and more of measurement culture rather than less. Mm -hmm. So this notion of getting rid of measurement around performance in the workplace, I think, is, is 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 a bit bogus. Um, I think the real question becomes, how do you measure it? What's the, what is a smart and good way to actually get real data and good data? And all of, there's been all this buzz around big data, and, and I think the interesting problem is it's not, that it's not a big data problem. We have no, we have no lack of data in the, in, the, in the workplace and in HR. What we have a lack of is good data. And so rather than looking at getting rid of measurement altogether, the c- real question is how does one measure performance in a way that actually yields results? So there's this interesting thing. It's very esoteric called it, the idiosyncratic rater effect. And it basically, and there's been tons of research on this topic, and but mostly in, in sort of a- academic circles, and it hasn't yet hit the business world that much. And it's a really simple principle. It basically says when I rate you up on something, maybe it might be, your strategic thinking abilities, my ability to rate you is actually more, my rating of you is more a reflection of me than it is of you. Mm -hmm. Because it's a reflection of, number one, how important do I think Strategic thinking is mm-hmm. number two. How often do I practice and exhibit strategic right. thinking myself? Mm-hmm. Number three, how good am I at that? Mm-hmm. If I'm not very good at it, I'm certainly not a good judge of how good you are right. at it. Sure. So it's this inability to see beyond yourself, mm-hmm. which really really um, taints our ability mm-hmm. to assess the performance of others. Which you know m- many of the HR systems we've seen um, over the last twenty to thirty years have been based on that fundamental principle of let's codify. You know, the, the human being and let's try to structure mm-hmm. jobs and roles and define what competencies and skills we need in them and then rate people against it. And that's just flawed. We mm-hmm. can't do that.
0: Right. So, Heidi, you're going to be speaking today on, uh, on a women in tech um, type of topic. So it's a topic that you and I found out, discovered that we have in common, both minor to women's studies. When we're talking about these performances and bringing change in, how important is diversity uh, as part of this? Because I can't help but think that it's, it's a part of the new generation's mindset, and yet it's not part of the older mentality that you so see.
1: Yeah, it's extremely important. There's been so much research that's been done that shows that when you have a more diverse set of human beings coming to the table on any problem, the results are better. And typically those results tend to be um, a more innovative and more creative end solution than you would have when you have people who are more similar, um, bringing outside perspectives in. I mean, it's like anything if you if, if you study the Renaissance at all and you look at the explosion of innovation and creativity in the Renaissance mm-hmm. and um, – um, historians attribute that largely to the fact that they that the Medici's one family brought together a diversity of mindsets, a diversity of experience. Where you were bringing together, they brought together politicians and um, scientists and uh, you know painters and poets and you know to, that they discussed ideas together. So diversity yields innovation and an explosion of creativity. So to think that somehow we're any different than those people, those those geniuses were in the Renaissance, I think mm-hmm. is, is is a farce. So, and if you if you look at businesses that become static and stop mm-hmm. growing and stop stop evolving, and you look at their demographics, typically they're led by a by an, by um, a set of people who, who lack diversity. So, a um, lot of interesting research there. And and you're absolutely right. From a generational perspective, um, I'm I'm excited about what this next generation is mm-hmm. going to bring to the to the workplace. I think they have a very very different sense of. Um, what um, healthy and good looks like yeah. in terms of the mix of human beings that they want to be around. Yeah.
0: When you when you when you take a step back and listen to what they say, you know they ask you why, Papa. Why did you work for the same company for thirty years? Well, because that's the way it is. But, but,
1: why? Why? <laughs> why? <laughs> yes.
0: All right, so um, this is a little bit provocative, Heidi, but I have a, a certain thought behind it. If, you're, if, you're, if you are promoting women in tech or women in general in diversity in management, and in front of you you have 12 men that would be of the classic variety, what argument would you think works to, you know, to encourage them to say, hey, guys, open up?
1: That's a fantastic question and a tough one, um, yeah, <laughs> but it but a, but a beautiful one. So I think certainly number one, you know, really trying to draw upon their own experiences when they've seen when they've experienced the highest levels of innovation and creativity, because in tech that's everything. Is trying to create create innovation and come up with that next next big idea. So one of the things that I do when I talk to men is I actually draw upon their past experiences, mm-hmm. particularly those in technology, and I and I and I draw out what made that good what made that special. And typically you will see, you will, you will find that it wasn't a bunch of, you know, white 32 year old men sitting in a rounder room together, all of whom had Stanford engineering degrees. And they, you typically will see and then some light bulbs do start to, to, Mm -hmm. to pop there. Um, and then obviously there's also just the, um, helping them understand that what got us here won't get us there. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you can't get them at that, you know, experiential level, you know, hit them in the business gut and say, you know, just because this is the way the world has worked up until now, if you don't change, um, you're probably going to be left behind for the reasons we just discussed, this next generation is not, isn't going to tolerate it. it's not how they operate.
0: All right so we, when we listened to Jonathan uh, speak at the beginning, we, he, he made us he encouraged us to introduce one another and speak about personal uh, something personal which in certain countries in France in particular it's sort of verboten to to mix professional and personal and and from my observations talking about personal in a business setting in a male dominated environment is often sort of also anathema and so my viewpoint is that I think women can bring uh, a greater ease uh, at bringing in personal and personality into the boardroom you know this is vast generalizations being what they are but um, when we're talking about uh, brands today, how, how important for you are brands uh, and the strength of the brand in driving engagement inside the company?
2: Yeah.
1: Well, first, I'm going to actually answer that in the context of the brand of women leaders, um, because I do think that part of the problem and part of the challenge that for women in leadership is the question of brand, because the brand of a um, of a of a of a business executive of a professional is does not historically has not necessarily been a very feminine brand. It's mm-hmm. been an extraordinarily masculine brand where you do have a very strong division between the personal and the professional. Mm-hmm. Um, the communication style, the 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 physical, uh, both physical and verbal communication style, um, is something which is very foreign to many women, to many young women. Um, and in fact, a personal story: I remember uh, my dad was a VP of sales. And I swore my entire childhood, I would never, ever, ever go into business because nothing could be drier. Nothing could be more boring. Um, and then, Or I, be a VP of sales. Or be a, oh my God forbid. <laughs> you know, and it's a bunch of stiff, boring white men who all look alike and all act alike. And they're all as dry as can be. Dry, just lacking of, lacking of the human, lacking in spirit, lacking in personality, um, lacking in uniqueness. Of
0: course, they may be intense and maybe have good intentions, but it's just missing that sort of fun.
1: Yeah, and I'm speaking now not of my current view, but my view of, you know, the eight-year-old girl looking at the world of business and, you know, tying it back to women in technology. I think that we have a a, a similar problem with the brand of technology and the brand of engineering Mm. in the world today, and that um, it's not necessarily a very attractive profession to many girls as they start to look at what do I, who do, who am I as a human being, and how am I going to be most fulfilled? And the brand of engineering, the brand of technology, doesn't necessarily fit with that. Um, and yet, and yet, you know, I'm a I'm a woman who actually started down my path. My degree, my, I have a master's in art history, undergraduate degree in political science and women's studies, and wound up in technology. I actually think it's an incredibly um, an. Incredibly creative, incredibly interesting, and dynamic space to be in, mm-hmm. and yet the brand isn't so. So I think we've got a little bit of a of some brand building to do mm-hmm. around engineering and around technology for young women today to be more attracted to it. Because mm-hmm. um, I, ju- I don't, I think that's um, the kind of um, geeky engineers who you know, the brand of the geeky engineer who doesn't really value social interaction mm-hmm. doesn't. It, it's that's not a brand that that many girls are are drawn to. to. Yeah
0: want to get back to Marcus Buckingham uh, because you guys are, are creating more and more online content and you're head of product. At Marcus Buckingham, when you're creating your online Material, your online courses. Uh, I'm curious to, to think about what are, what is making it effective. I mean, I think we're still somewhat at the forefront of making good online learning. And maybe you can share with us what are some of the lessons learned, i.e. screw-ups that have happened, mm-hmm. where you feel like you're, you can improve on what you're doing.
1: Yeah, well, a, a couple of things. I mean, um, first, certainly... Um, in the context of work I think is so important. Um, Fortunately with technology we have the ability to make things much more contextual and much more personalized as opposed to the what I call peanut butter approach to leadership development or development of any kind which is that one size fits all approach and somehow to think that content can be meaningful and relevant to all people even though knowing how unique the the human being is and how unique the situation is. I think that's a, a flaw in a lot of the content that's Mm -hmm. come before us so with technology and we actually have a a personalization engine that calibrates the content to you based on who you are your interests your innate strengths as well as the things Mm -hmm. that you're working on so I think breaking that you know, one size fits all approach is really, really important, and part of that also is when I say contextual, it needs to be in the moment and in bite-sized chunks. So, um, and we see this, you know, exploding in the world around us. Nobody, I mean, Twitter, you know, that's a, that's a beautiful example of in the moment, bite-sized chunks, relevance. What I want to what I want to hear now, um, as opposed to some sort of you know, top-heavy, top-down approach to here's everything you ever needed to know.
0: All right, so I get that. So the flexibility of the content, you've got great content, but you make it personalized. So first question is, how does one personalize the content? Because at the end of the day, if you're going to tell me I'm going to have it in a video, audio, uh, image base, I mean, there are different ways that one appreciates. People are more visual, some people are more auditive, Mm -hmm. and so on. So that, that level, or how do you manage to personalize the content therefore for Minter versus Heidi to appreciate?
1: Right, yeah. And we're, we're still learning about this. I think we have a long a long way to go. Um, right now where we are is really first of all understanding Minter and understanding Heidi. We're very, very different. Our drivers are different. And then as, serving up different content based on who we are and what our natural strengths are. So how you learn and how you're going to become stronger and be a better leader of your team is going to be very different and how I'm going to become a better leader mm-hmm. of my team. So it starts with really understanding who we are in our unique strengths and differences. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, we really, um, from a in terms of a context, from a context perspective, we also personalize that content based on the results and what we know about you. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you um, push out an engagement survey to your team and you're really strong in some areas and weaker in other areas, we personalize the content based yes. on those analytics and metrics. Mm-hmm. So... Ba- on the results of your team and so not only are we looking at the results and what the context of work is in the context of your team and how you're doing as a leader but also and make recommended actions for you Here's some things to try but also what it, even if we you and I had the exact same engagement results your advice and your content would be different than my content because our strengths are different
0: sweet all right last question Heidi you have two boys I have a girl and a boy and a girl And uh, so this isn't that thought, you know, bringing in the personal. Um, Bite-size education. So my thought goes to, you know, I've only got two minutes for my homework. Or I have a 90-second attention span where do you where do you how do you guys <laughs> sit on that because making it contextual is great mm-hmm. making it in the flow in my workspace of course perfect it fits it rolls on my ipad and like quickly follows up on my mm-hmm. smartphone and th- that kind of technical aspect yet making bite-size effective education and i'm thinking of children behind this but even for adults how does that work
1: yeah it's a, it's a fantastic question and it's i think i think we as a society are struggling with that what is the what is the right amount a, you know a 2 hour lecture a 5 minute video a uh, you know a a, a 10 second you know bite-sized piece of an an idea Um, and it's something I actually also worry about with my with my children and like because things are becoming increasingly bite-sized I happen to be a much bigger fan of medium versus Mm -hmm. um, versus Twitter as an example the way that my brain works Mm -hmm. I actually like to have a deeper um, and more a a deeper read and uh, more more context and kind of go deeper into a subject Um, we're certainly not moving in that direction as a society Um, so it'll be interesting to see where we land I think it's probably a bit of a pendulum Mm -hmm. there actually has been a little bit of a backlash i don't have been reading about it against twitter Uh that we're starting to see um i I believe their their um their their following is starting to dip a bit so i think we'll probably over time start to settle somewhere in the middle that no longer do we need to take our employees out of the out of their jobs for a week-long instructor-led course Mm -hmm. and you know twitter is not the end-all be-all bite-sized chunks chunk learning Um, i think we have to Uh, look at what is the right medium and the right length and the right context for what you're trying Mm -hmm. to accomplish. We certainly also still continue to offer um, classroom-based educational experiences. Mm -hmm. You you can create really profound experiences for human beings when you do take them away from their job and you do look eye-to-eye, human being Mm -hmm. to human being. It can be extraordinarily profound and there's still a place for that, Mm -hmm. but there's also a place for, you know, you're switching gears, you're running between meetings and you take in a new idea and the Light bulb goes off, and even if that new idea was delivered in 140 characters or less, it can it can make some impact. So I think it's it's I think we're going to evolve to a combination and get smarter over time mm. around, you know, what medium, what length, how deep, for whom, and in what context. Right,
0: because in the end of the day, we do all learn in different ways, and who are we to say that it's wrong? Yeah. At the, you know, at some point, and that, the other you know just leads me to thought where where you look at a, a medium or another uh, a type of material that you're reading the interactivity and i was thinking i mean i have a a, quite a solid background in pedagogy the notion of surprise and discovery in learning which is so evidently necessary for children and yet stripped out when we become adults why
1: That's fantastic. And I think it goes back to the way that the notion of how we've structured businesses and what the way that we think about an organization, the organizations are built. And we heard a great keynote on this that reflects this this morning, completely lacking of surprise. Mm -hmm. I think we've fooled ourselves in thinking that we should and can both, which are two different concepts that we should and can remove surprise, remove uncertainty, remove risk, remove the, um, the nuance of the human being and the, the, and, and try to codify and structure everything we 're going to p- build processes into everything we do we 're going to optimize those processes, squeeze all the waste out and in the process there's no, there 's no room for surprise so therefore we end up building education and content as if as if there is no surprise that we just are going to deliver something which is the here's the top 10 things you need to know for your job there's no surprise in that
0: it's like an SAT Heidi thanks for coming on the show It's great to have you and unfortunately I'm going to miss your your intervention but I'm going look forward to catching up and staying in touch with you. great thanks
1: so much for having me it's terrific
0: thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue show you'll find the show notes on themindset.com that's mindset with a Y where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe if you like the show please do rate it in iTunes that really makes my day happy trails and enjoy Josh Sax's Painted Fingers
2: oh fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you may in your back of So massy The ridges in our palms make colors blend and look ugly in the end, but they're pretty in their own disgusting values. We'd hang our portraits in the hallways, make our house guests.